whatever our craft or domain of excellence is, emotions are coming to work with us every single day. Yeah. And I think it's artificial to think that we can remove it. So therefore, I think it's to our advantage to become more fluent in the language of emotion so that we can better understand what that data is trying to tell us. Most business owners and entrepreneurs are secretly sick of hustling. And if you are too, you're in the right place. Welcome to the Hustle Less, Profit More podcast with me, Mickey Anderson, where we're revolutionizing success because you should have it all. Business success, lasting wealth, freedom, and fulfillment. Join me on this quest to uncover the keys to defining and achieving success on our terms so we can all hustle less and profit more. Dr. Chantal Lucia, PhD, is a mental performance coach and the founder and CEO of Elysian Insight Mental Performance Solutions, where she provides confidential private coaching as well as organizational training. Dr. Lucier is a highly sought after specialist in her field who has worked with thousands of nationally and internationally ranked competitive, elite, and pro athletes, including the NFL, CFL, and NHL, as well as dancers, performing artists, executives, entrepreneurs, and military and emergency personnel. In this episode, we tackle the myth that being emotional is a weakness, that emotions are gendered, and that we should work to remove emotions from our decision-making. Dr. Lucier is a former professional dance artist and a graduate of the world-renowned Royal Winnipeg Ballet School. She knows what it takes to perform under pressure, to face rejection, to endure injuries, and to experience both failures and peak performances. She's also a kidney cancer survivor. Dr. Lucier is a professional member of the Canadian Sports Psychology Association and the Association for Applied Sports Psychology. Dr. Lucier's holistic, person-centered approach to care shines through as she helps us understand how to leverage our emotions to make better decisions, run better businesses, lead better teams, and perform consistently at our best regardless of our domain. And after listening to this episode, you'll see why her clients call her a game changer. Without any further ado, I am so honored to welcome Dr. Chantal Lucier. Thank you so much for being here with me today, Dr. Chantal Lucier. One of the myths that come up all the time is that emotions or being emotional is a weakness. And we hear it in the, the media, toxic masculinity, women shouldn't cry in leadership settings. And I'd love to know your take on this myth. There are so many myths around emotions. When we look at it from an evolutionary perspective, there is a reason why literally in our bodies, we are meant to experience a broad range of emotions from being able to create meaningful bonds, meaningful attachments, building significant relationships, family and community. That's necessary for survival let alone for a quality good life. And then when we look at things like fear, anger, surprise, all those emotions were and still are incredibly important 
to our ability to just survive as a human, organic, embodied being. First of all, we can recognize we all have emotions and emotions are good. They're not a bad thing. We're supposed to have them. And I'm quite an existential philosopher on some level. And when we look at it from even an existential perspective, I'd like to think that emotions are the raw material that we get to define every single day what our human life is all about. It's a meaning-making material. And it's incredibly rich. So again, why wouldn't we want to utilize that raw material that is in our lives to support, to enhance, and ultimately to bring meaning to our daily experiences? We hear a lot about feminine and masculine emotions Mm -hmm. and things like toxic masculinity. It's all very confusing. I would love for you to help myself and our listeners understand a little bit more about this masculine feminine dynamic and and what it all means. I think we've all been put into some very narrow boxes of specifically around gender Mm -hmm. and then around the expression of the humanity around that gender, which then brings into our human emotional experience. And the whole thing about, oh, boys don't cry or girls should never be angry. How many of us women, I'm raising my hand over here, have balled our faces off? And when a significant person in our life is like, what is wrong? What are you so upset? After a couple of questions, you realize I am pissed off. I'm really angry about something. But as women, we were never taught, or I don't want to generalize, but certainly I was never taught how to express anger in a healthy way. And so it came out as tears. We repressed it, repressed it. But what was I allowed to do as a woman? Well, I was allowed to cry. And if I cry, maybe I would get some support. Maybe, right? Depending on the environment again. So what did we do with our anger? Well, it transformed, but the message got lost in translation. And then for men, how many times is it actually the opposite? Where a man has been far too often taught that boys don't cry, et cetera, They repress those emotions that might come across as sadness or tearfulness or depression or grief. And instead they quote unquote act out. So this is where all of a sudden it's, wait a minute, A, what am I actually feeling? And B, is my behavior and my expression of my feeling actually aligned with my inner experience? And I find for most of us, that message gets mixed and lost in translation a lot between the inner life and the outer expression. I was absolutely brought up in a place where emotions could be too much. And there were only certain emotions I was allowed to feel or was acceptable to feel. So I I love that you mentioned a repression of emotions as well. A hundred percent. And now if I think of business, I'm really fascinated as they, I know you are as well with empowering women leaders in particular. I'm blessed to know wonderful male leaders, but as women in business, what does it look like to be a leader? Who decided that being tactical or strategic was a male quality? Right? And the personal skills, yeah. compassion, nurturing, listening, being a good communicator, who decided that those were feminine qualities? They're not. A great leader could be a man a woman could identify with any gender. It's a matter of, have I cultivated those skills? Have I cultivated those qualities within myself? 
And then again, how do I then walk into the world, walk into the room and express those things? Obviously, when we think about sport and performance and success, it makes sense how emotions would play into physical performance. But when I think about business, it, it seems a little bit more nuanced in the way that emotions can affect us in the way that we strive for success. Many business owners and entrepreneurs who probably started listening to this and were like, mm, this isn't for me. Emotions don't affect me. I'm not a performer. I run a business and my job is to take emotion out or to, you know, separate my emotions from the situation because I need to be logical in business or strategic. I think of emotions as data. It's data that I'm getting all the time. So as a rational being, I'm interested in collecting as much data as possible. And I'm going to use my researcher language here, but quantitative data and qualitative. And there's a lot of different industries that it, sport included, but certainly business as well, that are very interested in certain ROIs, certain KPIs, certain data analytics that, that are trying to determine have we achieved our, our goals? Are we successful? Well, why are we only looking at quantitative metrics when the qualitative matters as well? For example, if an industry is experiencing a lot of high turnover and losing a lot of employees, you could look at all kinds of quantitative metrics, but you might want to have some qualitative exit interviews to try to find out what could we have done different to retain this great talent? At the end of the day, we are human beings. Yeah. Whatever our craft or domain of excellence is, emotions are coming to work with us every single day. Yeah. And I think it's artificial to think that we can remove it. So therefore, I think it's to our advantage to become more fluent in the language of emotion so that we can better understand what that data is trying to tell us. In that business meeting, we could talk about having an instinct. Oh, that business person somehow always managed to get the sale or somehow always managed to close the deal. And if you ask them, I bet you they're going to say they have an instinct somewhere along the way. There's some embodied physiological data that's coming through. Emotions is an embodied experience. Mm -hmm. And then cognitively, there's a feeling, there's a cognitive interpretation about what that's telling them that goes above the pie chart on the PowerPoint. And so can we take in all of the data instead of trying to quiet some of it and only look at a piece of it? Do emotions cloud our judgments? The body doesn't necessarily lie. We can lie with our words. But the body always wants to tell the truth. I, I just recently read a book called Becoming Bulletproof by Abby Pompuris. And she talks about how she worked for Secret Service in interrogations and polygraphs. And as much as the words might come out as deception or a lie, the body will act to tell the truth. It's giving hints. And so my question to you is, are our emotions clouding our judgment? Do they make it more difficult to make decisions or good decisions? And then if we've got emotions on our body, how do we start to tap into them? Cognitive neuroscience teaches us that it, emotions are actually an embodied experience. It's happening through our nervous system. So it's that gut feeling. It's that somatic embodied response. By comparison, feeling is the cognitive interpretation, the meaning and the story we bring to that embodied experience. So I think 
it's when we don't know how to read the data from our emotions, from our bodies, and we have a misinterpretation cognitively. It's not my emotions clouding my judgment. It's the way that I'm judging my emotions that's making it difficult for me to make decisions. One of the things around emotional intelligence that's so important is that we don't just have the opportunity to get more fluent in the language of our own emotions, but we have the opportunity to get more fluent in the lived experience and emotions of other human beings. That's an asset in every space of our lives. If my own emotions don't matter and I'm busy repressing them all, all week long, am I going to value other people's emotions? Not like whenever I'm busy trying to repress my emotion and like GSD gets shit done or I've got a problem and I'm trying to solve it and fix it and I'm trying not to get emotional about it. In those situations, I'm definitely faster to cut people off. So many of us working virtually from home. It's so easy, virtually even more than in person, to quote unquote, just be all business. We just get on, we sign, we put the PowerPoint or the agenda on, and we could just be all business, zero human interaction. Whereas at least in person, maybe we met at the the water cooler, or maybe I did a coffee run and asked you if you wanted coffee. And at least we had a little interaction, human to human as colleagues and as fellow beings. People misunderstand what it looks like to place the human being at the center. Mm. It doesn't have to change everything you do. It just might mean that you take literally two minutes before the meeting to check in with the humans before getting to the agenda. Once in a blue moon, something could come up that all of a sudden makes you realize your agenda wasn't actually the priority today. And then isn't it good that you checked in with your humans, including your staff or your your colleagues or your clients? A lot of times we assume that that stuff doesn't matter. Or it's not a priority. Yeah. When in fact, sometimes it might be the priority and, and the other times where it's not, we're building those relationships that allow us to work well together. You and I both know what it's like to run businesses alone. And a lot of times we just get so busy. Our lives get so cluttered. Our to-do lists are never ending. There's just so much stuff. And it feels like there's no space or time or leftover energy to even consider looking at my emotional state at this point. For those who are overworked, overtired, overtasked, tapped out, and at this point repressing to get stuff done, How would you help them recognize the importance of even starting to tap into that process? A lot of times when we quote unquote, try to put a lid on our emotions, try to repress, try to shut it down, we're not realizing it's already impacting us. Mm -hmm. It's impacting potentially the quantity of energy we've got, probably feeling depleted. It's probably affecting the quality of energy. Maybe we're less patient. Maybe we're, we've got a shorter fuse. Maybe we're less uh, confident in our decision-making. It's already having an impact. Why not actually be proactive and constructive yeah. and actually address it? If all of a sudden, let's say I had identified, I don't know, some kind of mistake in the budget and I needed to recalibrate something, that would be really concrete. I'd pull out the Excel spreadsheet, you know, maybe bring in a business a finance person, if that's in my department, yada, yada, we have a meeting. We go to town trying to solve that. 
why not be as strategic with our own emotional well-being and hopefully to do it before we're completely tapped out? Unfortunately, in the business world, the word burnout is one that we hear so much. And, and by the time we're there, and, and I get it, I've been there, it takes a long time to come back from that. So this is why the language I often use as a high performer, whether it's in sport, the arts business, is sustainable excellence. Mm. I don't just want to experience success one random day on a Tuesday and then be like, well, I hope, hope I can feel that great again and hit it out of the ballpark again in three months. No, no, no. I want to be able to show up and feel vibrant and excited and building that excellence in my business every single day. So then I got to make sure I'm strategic yeah. to maintain, to cultivate that well-being in my life. A lot of times they'll make space for the happy emotions and say, but I've, I can do the good emotions, but I don't have time for the bad emotions. And we assume that some are okay to deal with or we welcome, okay, I want to feel excited. I want to feel energized. I don't want to feel grief or sadness or whatever. Like that stuff is for later. And we label it good and bad, or we make room for some emotions and not others. Are there good and bad emotions? And is there a downside to only allowing yourself to experience some emotions. You know, it, we have the Oscars. So a lot of people were focused on the craft of being an actor and filmmaking. In the film world, we often talk about actors and actresses as having range. Yeah. They have acting chops. They have a broad acting range. They can do drama. They can do comedy, etc. I like to bring that perspective to emotions. Mm-hmm. If I acknowledge I can have emotional range, then no emotion is good or bad. Some might be harder for me to feel. Some I might be less experienced in feeling fully. Some might be really demanding, demanding a lot of energy, demanding a lot emotionally, spiritually. Grief, as you mentioned, is one of them. No one is signing me up for grief. But yet... What does grief tell us? Tells us so much, including about what and who we've loved. Yeah. Why wouldn't I, even though it's hard, so hard. And as you know, my story, you know, I've experienced a lot of grief in my life. It's hard. But why wouldn't I want to go as deep with it as I can? Because deep in, inside of the grief is actually love. Now, if we talk about anger... Anger is so demanding. We can be exhausted after we've been really angry, right? Like it takes so much. And yet, when I can pause, as opposed to act on anger, but just pause, feel it. What is it trying to tell me? A lot of times it's telling me something doesn't sit right with me. Mm -hmm. Was a boundary crossed? Is there a disagreement in values? There's something that needs to be solved. Yeah. Right now, while I'm angry may not be the right time to go into problem solving mode, but being angry itself, again, is giving me rich data. Yeah. So can I feel it, feel it fully in a safe, in a physical and psychologically safe space so that I can extract the lessons and the wisdom to whatever that emotion is, because it's telling me something that's meaningful. Is that what emotional intelligence is? I think it absolutely is. It's, and, and, you know, I'm glad you brought that up because 
when we look at emotional intelligence, and, and there's a number of different definitions by academics and sort of in pop culture as well, part of it is just having that literacy, that ability to understand emotions, the ability to use emotions, and then the ability to self-regulate or what some people might say, manage emotion. But I prefer to use the language of self-regulation because again, management can sound like I'm trying to control my emotions. But perhaps the other part that might be useful for us to keep in mind, there's a lot of different models in research on emotional intelligence. And one of the ones I like to visit with clients and to teach when I get to work with groups is that there's actually four different types of emotional intelligence. Cool. And so a lot of times, again, people think, oh, my emotions, it's all about me. It's my internal life. But there's actually four dimensions or, or four different kinds. So we can talk about the self. Mm -hmm. And the self has two dimensions. There's the piece that's self-awareness. Yep. I know, I know what I'm experiencing. Exactly. And that's the recognition. I know who I am and I know what I'm feeling. I have the language to even name and write feelings. So right away, self-awareness for a lot of us is a little area we could probably enhance. Yep. Dang, dang. Right? <laughs> the second part, the second quadrant that belongs to self-awareness is now the how do I regulate, right? It's that self-management piece. Yeah. So I don't necessarily need to put a lid on it and repress all of my feelings. But if I'm at work and it's currently not a psychological safe space or it's not the right time for me to feel whatever I might need to feel, maybe I'll protect some time this evening. Yeah. So I'm not repressing. I'm just hitting pause until I can honor that experience more fully later. Now I'll go for a walk at lunch, self-regulate, and I'll feel what I need to feel tonight after work, which sounds easier than it is. So that's the piece about the self, but there's another column with two other categories, and that's the social piece. Yes. Right? So if I'm going to be aware of my own feelings and be able to name them and recognize them and feel them, Am I skilled in doing that with other people? Do I recognize the emotional experience of others? Could I name it? Do I even recognize it? So this self-awareness of emotions in others is an incredible skill that we could probably all keep working on. <laughs> and then the other piece are, is the social skills. Yeah. If I'm aware of the body language, the communication, I'm sensing the energy, I'm paying attention to the difference between yesterday and today, how is that now impacting my social skills? Am I communicating with them slightly differently today? Do I go and check in on them? Do I make sure they know I'm around if they need help with that task? So this is where it's, it's like emotional management. It's not just all about me. I am an important piece. You're an important piece. But then it's also about developing that awareness with and for others as well. How can this impact us in a positive way? How can this potentially make us better as business owners, as humans, as performers. I love that because I try to be process oriented, but at the end of the day, all of us want to know, okay, Chotel, but if I do all of this, will I get the outcome that I want? <laughs> There's a side to it that's very pragmatic. People will notice the more they practice emotional intelligence, they'll enhance their self-awareness and their self-knowledge. But I think even more importantly, in counseling, we have the cognitive triangle, which is thinking, feeling, and being. 
step one, you start to practice a bit more emotional intelligence. You're going to start to notice how your thoughts, your emotions, and your behavior are all linked. Mm -hmm. And the more you develop that emotional intelligence, the more you can have a great impact on your thoughts and on your behavior because it's all connected. The second thing is that you're going to start to notice, well, if I feel this way, what's the underlying need? You know, and if it's at work, like maybe I need help with this project. Maybe I need clarity. Maybe I need to go talk to my boss and find out what's priority right now. I'm feeling overwhelmed at work. I feel it spread too thin. Dear boss, which towns do you want me to prioritize right now? So as soon as we can recognize the feelings and the emotions, we're better equipped to identify what we need and then to be proactive in seeking that out, whether it's in our business life or personal life. Which then leads to three. Now I'm in a position where I can actually take certain actions yeah. to honor my needs and my feelings. But then in terms of outcomes, we're going to have that enhanced well-being. Because instead of stuffing down all our emotions and ignoring them until they blow up or we melt down or we implode or whatever language we've got, instead of waiting until that and people have to end up on sick leave from work or people are checking out of their marriages or their relationships or they feel like they're failing as parents or until we get to those points. No, we're now able to be more proactive yep. and to catch things way earlier so we can cultivate our emotional well-being. And I think the last part then is the social. We're going to have better connections with other human beings. Because not only are we more self-aware and able to self-manage better, but as I said earlier, we're now recognizing what's happening with the human beings in our lives. So I think we actually can develop more authentic connections in all spheres of our lives. And ultimately that makes us be able to live better together, socialize better together and work and perform better together because we've got, we've got really authentic, rich relationships that are based on, on a whole authentic human being, not just on a imaginary worker. So now I want to flip it on its head a little bit because we, we understand our role, but what happens when other people who aren't attuned to their emotions or maybe yours come in and start making poignant comments? How can we deal with, or is there a way to deal with other people and the sharp words or potentially the way that we're interpreting words coming at us and those emotions that we experience? Admittedly over here, I'm a practicing reformed uh, perfectionist. And so once upon a time, I struggled myself a lot with taking feedback. And in my first career in dance and the performing arts and ballet is one of those disciplines where perfectionism was almost thought to be a positive thing. Identity and the quality of my craft would get mixed up and it would get entangled. Oh yeah. Right? I Anytime one of my great dance teachers would try to give me feedback to help me be a better dancer. And of course, delivery sometimes was great, sometimes was not optimal, okay? So something is on the management or communication staff, but it didn't matter, to be honest with you, how they delivered it. I was going to be upset either way <laughs> because I wanted to be perfect. And as soon as something was pointed out that said I wasn't perfect, I instantly ceased to make it about the dance skill and made it about me, the dancer. Yeah. So instead of failing at whatever in this pirouette turning exercise, 
no, no, no. It would become, I am a bad dancer. Mm-hmm. I am failing. And I'm giving that example because I'm, I'm assuming there may or may not be a lot of dancers in the audience. So maybe this is like removed enough that we can get that perspective of, yep. well, it's about the pirouette. Like, why would you be upset? Just fix that thing. For sure. If someone says that I delivered a service uh, that wasn't exceptional, or if I got feedback about the way that I did some copywriting or something like it's those things are my babies. Like I created them. And I think a lot of business owners can relate with that too. I think this is where, honestly, it's sanity for our well-being, but it's also an important strategy for us to be, quote unquote, growth mindset oriented, where there's space, healthy space between our personal and professional identity mm-hmm. and then our skills and our crafts. Because if I separate that, I can still go home tonight and, and think to myself, I'm a good business owner. I didn't deliver maybe my best, but I still have strengths and the client has outlined where I can improve. I can just make it about that skill. And I can't believe I'm saying this because once upon a time, I used to take it all personally. (laughs) But now I understand the advice we often give, but sometimes we use it in a misguided way. But then we realize it's really, truly, wholeheartedly not personal. It's about that language in the copywriting, or it's about that skill for the athlete. Now, of course, I think it's important to highlight that there's a trigger. Many people have been told, stop taking everything personally while they're not being treated properly as a human. Yeah. For those of us who know we have maybe one or a few of those quadrants of emotional intelligence that need a bit of work, what can we start to do? Where can we seek out support? Actually, those four quadrants are quite helpful. So for example, if someone is, is at the self-awareness level and is realized, you know, I've tried to ignore my feelings all these years. It ain't working for me. Maybe I should really work on the self-awareness piece. This is where some things like a guided journal mm-hmm. that you might do daily, or you might just put in your calendar a reminder once or twice a week to just check in your inner life, your emotional life, with a guided journal. That's a great place to start. And it could be five minutes once or twice a week. Meditation for a lot of people, obviously that's all about thoughts and trying to observe and ultimately hopefully quiet the mind, but it's a practice of literally showing up to yourself and seeing what arises today. On the self side, the second quadrant of self-management, self-regulation, I find this is where sometimes whether it's counseling, therapy, or coaching, or having someone who can be an effective supporter, guide, and mirror. Because there's a lot of skills to that emotional self-regulation. And I don't know about you, but I know it wasn't in the school curriculum growing up. I needed help. (laughs) And this is where let's cut the stigma of all that because none of us have learned those skills. So for the self-management if there's areas that need healing, of course, but if, if it's about learning self-regulation skills around emotional intelligence, I think therapy, counseling, or coaching can be really effective. And before you move on to the next one, sorry, I want to stop you. So if, if we've got a business owner or a, an entrepreneur here who is, uh, that's me, could they turn to you for support in that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I work with a lot of wonderful people in all kinds of industries. 
just trying to optimize the human being as well as their performance wherever they show up in the world. So I'd love to be part of the solution there. Awesome. Yeah. And thank you for asking that. And of course, in the second side, the social awareness piece, you know, this sounds so simple, but just practice being aware of the energy you bring in the room. And it's a daily practice. And sometimes I have a bad day, but now I'm supposed to go give this awesome team talk to this great group of people. I want to show up at my best, but here I am and it's a tough day. So what do I do? I'm in the car, mindfully picking my playlist to make sure it feels good. And I'm practicing good posture, good energy, and smiling while I'm driving. <laughs> it reminds me of going to a competition and like cranking the pump up too. But the intention behind that is that five minutes from now or 10 minutes from now, when I walk into that room, it's my job to be responsible for the energy that I'm bringing to it. So that's the social self-awareness of recognizing I'm going to have an impact on others. I want to notice what's going on with other people. And I want to be responsible for what I bring to the social setting. And then, of course, social skills. For some of us, it's about practicing presence. For some of us, it's about refining our listening skills. Yeah. For some of us, it's about refining how, when do we use our voice? And is there a way to use our voice more effectively? So we don't have to pick all of these things all at once, but just pick one of these quadrants yeah. and one strategy. And maybe for the next four weeks, practice that. Amazing. Before we close up, is there anything you want to chat about or any final thoughts you want to add? I've been working on a podcast and we're going to be dropping the first series of six episodes dropping in early May. Sign up for my newsletter and that's going to be the best way to find out what's going to be going on on the podcast side. And then I've got some online classes that are going to be starting up in the spring as well. It's um, www.chantalelussier, spelled C-H-A-N-T-A-L-E-L-U-S-S-I-E-R.com, spelled a little differently, so I wanted to make sure that we put it out there. Chantal also has a great PDF for mindset tips for game days, but I can tell you as a business owner going into a meeting or a sale or a pitch, or even just going into a chat with my staff, being able to check those over and do a little bit of a self-assessment and work through those tips has been super helpful. It's called the eight game day mindset tips on her website and you can find her on social media. Thank you so much, Dr. Lucier. Thank you for joining me in another episode of the Hustle Less, Profit More podcast. Thanks to our season one sponsor, Asteri Pursuit Marketing and Communications. You can find show notes and resources at hustlelessprofitmorepodcast.com. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to rate and review us where you get your podcasts. Join us again next time to uncover more of the keys to achieving success, wealth, fulfillment, and freedom. Thanks for listening.